Hey, I'm Dr. Judy, and welcome to Supercharged Life, where I help you discover new ways to create success, wellness, and fulfillment, and give you tangible tools to supercharge your life. Today, we're going to talk about exactly what you need to do to get your mind right and get yourself moving again after a breakup, separation, or divorce. So whether this has happened to you or someone you love, man, do we need this topic today. Studies show that 2020 has seen the most breakups compared to the last three years, both nationally and internationally. Believe it or not, this global pandemic has brought a new light to relationships, some good and some bad. Being stuck inside for months on end really put a lot of relationships to the test. And really, it came down to a make or break realization for many relationships out there. Dating.com decided to survey its users to find out how many have had relationships end during quarantine. And in the past month, Dating.com has seen an uptick in newly single users signing up online. When they were surveying their current users, they found that 67% of users have admitted that they went through a breakup in the last year, which is a significant increase from last year's findings of only 34% who had just gone through a breakup. Out of the 67% of those respondents who said that they had ended relationships this year, 49% said that they lived with their significant other. So obviously that makes it a much more significant separation. Out of those living with their ex-partner, 25% revealed that they realized living together caused them a lot of fights, which of course eventually led to the relationship's demise. And nearly 75% of this group claimed that they signed up for a dating site to effectively move on during this limited social distancing era. Breakups are obviously challenging with or without a global pandemic. And with people still being encouraged to stay home and limit social interactions, being able to move on can sometimes feel impossible. But breakups can be a blessing in disguise and even give you the opportunity to rediscover the best in yourself, rethink what you want in a partner, and be a time of growth in your individual career and family life. And my guest today agrees with this. She's a certified divorce specialist with a hugely popular podcast called Moms Moving On. You guys should all check it out. And genuine girl power enthusiast. She has helped and inspired women all over the world with her empowering Tell It Like It Is Instagram posts. And she is with us today to tell us exactly how to get out of the victim mindset, turn lemons into lemonade and get on with moving forward and building the life of our dreams. So let's get ready to dig in with Michelle Dempsey. And we're going to tackle some of your questions about surviving breakups and embracing singlehood. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Dr. Judy. Thank you so much for that beautiful intro. Oh, well, I love your work, admire your work. And I think this is such a timely conversation to be having right now. More than ever. I mean, who knew, you know, this would not just be the year of the pandemic. It would be the epidemic of divorce all over again. Oh, and starting over and breaking up, deciding whether or not to stay in a relationship. And are you even doing it for the right reasons? I've seen this in all the different people that I speak to, not just my patients, but my friends, my colleagues who sometimes will go back to an ex because it feels better than being by themselves. God, I've heard that before. (laughs) So take me through your own adventures in love, divorce, and finding love and getting married again. (laughs) So I was the quintessential could never be alone girl. I had lots of undealt with childhood issues, typical daddy issues, which I denied and ignored for so long and swore like, no, I'm totally unaffected. But I kept finding myself attaching to 
men that were just not just wrong for me, but really just brought out the worst in me. And at a certain point, you have to look at like, okay, what's the common denominator here? It's me. And when I reached um, the point of my engagement with my first husband, first of all, we got engaged very, very quickly, um, very indicative of our anxious attachment styles. He had a lot of undealt with stuff. I had a lot of undealt with stuff, but I didn't know it yet. And we entered this, you know, hot and heavy, like relationship. And out of nowhere, he proposed to me and I found myself falling apart in every which way. Um, it just was, it was almost like the sign I needed from the universe to get my shit together for lack of a better term and really take a look at like what I couldn't ignore about myself anymore. Um, my anxiety was heightened because of this bad relationship, trust issues because of this bad relationship. And it wasn't so much that he was bad. It was just, we were so bad for each other. So shortly after I got pregnant, which was another five minutes after we got married, um, <laughs> I kind of knew we were headed for a divorce from the get go, but we had just had a baby and I didn't know, you know, I couldn't separate my hormones and my emotions from reality. So I gave it some time. And by the time my daughter was turning two, it was time to split up. So we split. I was, it was, I was young. I was 33. I was the first in my friend group to get separated. I felt strangely like fine. Like I, I had been through so much in my life that I felt this is just another one of those things that I'm going to get through. I've been through worse. My mom was a really big support system to me because she's, she had been through divorce at my age and I felt okay. I also, what I couldn't ignore was how like certain I was months before the split that there was a whole life waiting for me on the other side. Like I knew that and I knew how hard it was going to be, but I knew ultimately I'd get there. Um, and I did, I met my now husband not long after separating. I, I kind of knew that I, he was going to be there at some point, this guy that, you know, I envisioned kind of just showed up and we got remarried about a year ago. We each have a daughter. So we've blended a family. I'm a stepmom too. And it's just been an incredible experience all around. I mean, there's so much to learn from blending a family about yourself, about how you handle relationships and children. And in the interim, I've been helping women through my writing and coaching and podcasts and all of that. So much to unpack there, Michelle, but I'm so glad that you mentioned attachment theory. We recently just recorded an episode on that because it just influences how you approach all the relationships in your life, but definitely the intimate relationships. And you see those reflections and until you work through them and really contemplate them, sometimes you don't even realize your patterns until you're actively taking a look and really making sure that those childhood attachments don't affect your current relationships in a negative way. But I love how you talked about the blended families. And my best friend is also um, a stepmother to two teenage boys. And the blended family is something that everybody can resonate with. They're just more and more common nowadays. So yeah. how is all of that going in terms of the blended family? I know that you're a stepmother to Jolie. Yes. So how's everything going with your blended family adventures? I think it's going well. And I'll tell you why. My husband and I are were both hyper aware of how this might affect our children. I'm a child of divorce. He had been divorced for a few years before I met him. So he knew exactly what would affect his child. I knew mine would be slightly less affected because she was younger, didn't really know anything else. But we really did the work ahead of time. And I, you know... It's I tell my friends this who are now dating people with kids like, oh, our kids get along so great and it's so fun and we like do things together. And I'm like, 
all of that is fantastic, but when you're under one roof, everything changes. There are really big conversations you need to have before going into a blended family situation so that things can run smoothly. So I think because, you know, we did the work, we spent a lot of time leading up to this. We didn't just jump into this. We openly communicate about, you know, issues pertaining to our kids. Our kids are two different ages. Mine's five, his is a teenager. So they have their own like sets of drama that we handle separately. Um, We've really, you know, I would say we're a year into, a year and a half into all living together as a family now. I think we found our groove probably about a year into it. So, you know, between getting our exes comfortable with our situation and getting the kids respectful of each other's space, you know, there were two only children coming together. So everybody wants attention in their own way when they want it. So it was, it was a, it was, it was a challenge, but we genuinely have good kids. So it wasn't like there was no screaming and yelling and fighting. It was really understanding how to respect other people and being considerate. You know, I think this has taught my daughter so much about being thoughtful and considerate of other people and the same for his. So it's been pretty good. And I think a big lesson in there is just having patience and being willing to try different things until you find the one that works for you. Every family is obviously very different and you have to have a bit of patience with yourselves and compassion for yourselves and also just the process. So what inspired you to start Moms Moving On? Um, I like that you use the word compassion. That was the word I was looking for. Compassion and you have to know when to bite your tongue. A happy blended family, you're going to have lots of bite marks on your tongue. Um, When did I start Moms Moving On? So I had been writing about divorce and co-parenting for a bunch of different mommy publications for a few years. And as my Instagram following grew, I would get lots of requests from women for advice. Um, They would want to hire me to coach them. I wasn't a coach yet. And I felt because my husband is a family court judge, I would go to him all the time with these questions like, how should I answer this? How should I answer that? He's like, you know, you should have a podcast, like, I don't know, bring on experts to answer the questions. I'm like, it's a really good idea. So we started uh, last year, late last year, the podcast kicked off in January. I started bringing in experts that could answer the specific questions I was getting related to, you know, whether it's therapists and psychologists talking about fear of moving on, anxious, anxious attachment, um, bringing on lawyers to talk about what a parenting plan looks like, what the divorce process actually looks like from the inside, mediators, judges. I've had it all. I've had the random celebrity who likes to make us laugh with their divorce horror stories. Um, And the happy ending story, you know, I've had a few happily remarried people talk about their their process. So um, it's been ramping up. We've had, I think we're like in the top 100 for self-improvement now, which I'm floored. Like at the beginning, you know, I got started. I didn't think anybody would listen. And now it's, it's really become something. So I'm proud of that. We also have an online community for women who may not yet be ready to commit to hiring a coach, but want the benefits of the advice and, and the community. So we have that as well. And we need community more than ever right now. And that's why I really love the work that you're doing. And I think what you're helping to do too is to provide hope for people who are going through separations or contemplating separation because there's a lot of fear during those moments. What are some of the biggest fears people come to you when they are going through a separation or a divorce? Oh, that's easy. It's children. Will my children hate me? Am I screwing up my children? And will I die alone? Those are the two questions I get all over and over and over again. A woman in my community called me at the beginning of quarantine and she said, I want to keep this quiet. I'm getting divorced. You know, my husband did X, Y, and Z. I'm so upset. Please tell me, Michelle, that I won't die alone. And I said to her, 
sweetheart, this is not the question you need to ask. We need to, we need to get you to a place where if you were alone, you'd be totally fine with it. So I think there's that fear of everyone I know is married. I'm supposed to be married. I need to go and find someone. Will I find someone? And I always tell them, this is not the time to worry about. This is the time to worry about you. Um, and as it pertains to the kids, I love that question because I am so happy to whip out all the research that I have that shows that single-parented children can end up sometimes thriving much better than a children child in, in a two-family home that's unhappy. So, um, you know, I, I always pose that question to people who hire me that aren't yet divorced, that are thinking about taking the leap. I'll say to them, you know, think of you at your best. Are you at your best in your marriage? No. Can you give your best to your child when you're not at your best? No. Think of how good and present you can be when you're not, you know, sitting around crying for somebody who's mistreating you or learning about your husband's affair and then having to put on a smile for your kids. Like there's a lot of freedom and relief that comes from leaving a bad marriage and all of that good energy goes to your children. So there's, you know, there's so much more research behind that, but the only thing that really messes up our kids in divorce is how we handle co-parenting. And that's a completely separate issue that I coach women on as well. I'm so glad that you cleared up that idea because I think people think about the research that's been out there about divorces. And a lot of times I think they're misquoting it and maybe they're oversimplifying it. Or sometimes they just hear it from a friend and it's not actually what the studies show. So I'm really glad that you pointed out children can thrive if they're growing up in healthy households. And whether that healthy household is one parent two parents or one uh, biological parent and then the mixed parent or the step parent, it can all work. And the most important thing is that you're providing that role modeling for your children and solving problems and again, creating and cultivating an open communication for everybody to talk about their concerns and work it out together. Absolutely. Harvard research shows has proven one healthy attachment is all a child needs in order to be able to thrive. So a stable attachment, it can be to a grandparent and aunt and uncle, you know, if mom and dad are having problems and it's healthier for the child to live with a grandparent for a little while, one stable attachment is all a child needs. And it's so much better for a child to see one happy parent than two unhappy parents. Absolutely. And I love what you said about that one person who is the healthy attachment that that can change everything because I have seen that work. When I was a teenager, I was part of the big brother, big sister program. And I had one mentee. She was 10. I was 15. I didn't know what I was doing, but really all I did was weekly showing up at the same place, taking her to ice cream or a movie and just being there. And even though she had been in and out of 10 different foster homes by that age, that attachment even to me was powerful for her and really helped to put her on a better trajectory. And that experience is actually what inspired me to become a psychologist. That's and so, beautiful. yeah, so I just love the power of that, that really you only need one healthy attachment. And even if you don't get the chance to correct that in childhood, you can still do that for yourself as an adult. 
This is Jess Betancourt, the host of DNA ID, the only true crime podcast that exclusively covers cases solved using forensic genealogy. DNA ID goes behind the headlines to answer your questions about this remarkable new crime-solving tool, how it works, how cases are selected, why the cases were unsolved for so long, and how the justice system is addressing it. I include input from law enforcement to give you the inside scoop that we all crave with a straightforward, no-nonsense delivery. You can find DNA ID on any podcast platform. Episodes come out weekly on Mondays. I want to launch into the questions because I got so many questions on my social media this week when I told people that we were going to be doing this and (laughs) the questions were long. We had to cut some of them because they would be like essays. Like, this is what I'm going through. (laughs) (laughs) And and I get it because it's so complex. So are you ready to tackle some of these questions together? Ready. Awesome. So first question is Chance from Facebook. Chance says, I come from a pretty traditional family, and I know that they're going to be very upset that I'm planning to divorce my wife. But by the way, it's mutual. She wants it too. I know I shouldn't care what they think, but they're still my family, and I'll need to defend my own very thoughtful decision of separation while navigating the crappy part of being alone. What are your thoughts? Well, I think everybody has this um, idea that they're going to be disappointing people by ending their marriage, but they're only looking at it from one perspective. Yes, it's disappointing that this notion of family will no longer be, you know, what is our what is our Sunday dinner going to look like? What will the Thanksgiving table look like? What are you going to do? Can you be alone? I think it, it you have to be very clear cut in how you communicate this to your family. I think separately, you know, not getting everybody together for a family meeting where they're going to like launch all these questions and feed off of each other is probably the best way to tell them individually having conversations where you can justify your your feelings. Look, I'm fine. We ultimately think this is the best decision for both of us. We appreciate your support right now. You're not really asking for it. You're more declaring like you can support me or not. And I think, you know, in a society where we're so dependent on other people's opinions and views and likes and thumbs up and hearts and all that kind of stuff, this isn't one of those times like you need to be able to lay your head down at night with peace of mind, your, your family's opinions can't give you that. So very clearly stating, you know, what it is you plan to do, how you feel about it and that you're expecting their support. And that's that not really leaving room for negotiation there. I love that advice because I think boundaries are so important for our loved ones. And it doesn't mean that you don't love them or that you're being harsh, but boundaries are healthy for everybody. And I, I also think that it's helpful just to remind your family, if you want me to be happy, this is what I'm doing for myself. And even if you don't agree with it, please support me because I've thought about this a lot and I believe this is what's going to make me happier. You know, I had had an aunt who was very close to me. She's my mom's sister. I love her dearly, but she was very judgy about my split. And it was odd because she knew how unhappy I was. And months down the line, I met my new husband and we were just dating at the time and I wanted to bring him to a family dinner. And she was like, I don't know, you know, I don't think it's appropriate. And my mom had my back. Like my mom was like, you know what, if Michelle and her boyfriend can't come, this is, this is where Michelle is happy now. If if she can't be a part of your family dinner because of that, then none of us are coming. And, you know, my aunt really owned up to that and apologized. And I think for her, like, not being inside my life. She didn't understand what my new relationship was like, what my old relationship was like. And you have to give people a little grace because they're, they're all just coming from a good place. They want the best for you chance, but you need to do what's best for you because you're, you're not, they don't have to live your life. 
That's right. And that's something really helpful to remember because you can think about other people's judgments and opinions all you want, but really they talk about it. They think about it for a couple minutes and guess what? Everybody refocuses on themselves 99% of the time. <laughs> so let's take the next question. This is from Nika from IG and Nika says, this is going to be my first holiday season without my kids. We officially separated earlier this year. They're going to be with their father and his girlfriend over the holidays. I know I should try to get along with my ex and his new partner for the sake of my kids, but I still feel so resentful. How can I deal with my feelings and model positive behaviors for my children who are obviously still struggling with our separation? And this is a really common question that I get, Michelle, because I think people want to do the best that they can, but it's just so hard sometimes to hold themselves back from you know, just saying something caustic about the ex or making some kind of judgment call or even sometimes asking their kids for information like, oh, so what's the new girlfriend like, et cetera, et cetera. And children are very perceptive no matter how young they are. They know what you're doing and it disturbs them because it makes them feel like maybe you're asking them to pick sides. So what do you think about Nika's question? I think she's very valid. I mean, the first holiday season without your kids is awful. And I wish I would have spoken to her earlier because there are so many ways to split up a parenting plan so that you are never without your kids on a holiday and neither is your ex. But that that being said, the feeling resentful is normal, especially if your ex-spouse has moved on and you haven't. The holiday season is a time where you want to feel loved, and I understand that. But you need to focus your love and energy on your children right now. They don't deserve to feel anxious or uncomfortable for who they spend their time with. That in itself is what ends up damaging the children in divorce not not right away but like years later those are the issues that creep up that's what happened with me and i think it's really just you know putting on the bravest face you can because i know it's hard telling your children you want them to be happy and enjoy wishing your ex well because you know do unto others type of thing and then if you need to you go home you cry you pour yourself a drink you scream into a pillow and you write you know angry letters you'll never send into your journal and 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 to that point, you can't be afraid to ask for help during the holidays. If you have a friend or a cousin or a coworker who is known for doing their big holiday get togethers, invite yourself, say, hey, this is my first holiday season alone. I'd love to come. I, I just can't sit alone. There is no shame in asking to be included in something because the last thing you want to do is sit at home alone, like wishing you had something to do. People may not know how to approach you right now, so don't be scared to ask. You need your village. You need a support system. If nothing else, message me. I'm going to do a big co-parenting uh, during the holidays get together virtually. But you know, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to feel your feelings. Just don't let your child children see that they don't deserve it. Agree completely. And whatever your attachment style or hangups about interjecting yourself into somebody else's holiday gatherings, this is the time to get over it. I'm a huge advocate of if you do know that some of your attachment styles are holding you up, the first place to experiment is with your friends and with your colleagues, right? Before you take that into an intimate relationship. So this is the time to basically say, okay, even though this is not generally the way that I do things and I may feel a bit uncomfortable, I'm going to use this as an experiment, basically, and see how welcoming people really can be during this time. I think people don't realize that most of the times people who really care about you, they just want to help. But sometimes, like you said, Michelle, they don't know how. So tell them how. One of my girlfriends mentioned to me recently, she was like, remember when you first got separated and we had plans like every single day, like play dates for my daughter and like dinner with the girls. I, I am someone 
traditionally who helps everybody around me. Like I'm a nurturer, I'm a doer, I'm a fixer, I'm a caretaker, but I had such a hard time asking for it. Mm-hmm. And, and my therapist was like, open, open your heart. Like now's the time to take <laughs> any sort of like help. And, and I, I remember I was like constantly scheduling things out of this fear of being alone. And then I got to a point where I was like, I don't want to get dressed tonight. I want to be in bed and just watch my show and relax. And that's a really comforting place to get to when you, when you know you have your people there, but you're fine to be alone. It takes time though. And the holidays is a great time to immerse yourself into other people's joy. And speaking of fear of being alone and getting to the point where you're comfortable with that, Farah on Twitter says, I'm a serial monogamous. I know you can totally vibe with this one, Michelle. And I've never been <laughs> and I've never been single more than one to two months. I've now been single for eight months and it's hard. How do I get more comfortable with myself during singlehood and stay patient and hold out for a good relationship? Well, I think um, if there's, you know, anything you can learn from this time alone, it's what serves you best, right? So in my serial monogamy in my past, it was always, you know, me doing whatever I could to please the other person I was with and always ended up feeling like alone and like my needs weren't met. Um, In my first marriage, some of the things that I love doing most were completely unaligned with what my ex-husband liked to do. So for example, I love to work out. I always wanted a partner who would go to the gym with me or run on the beach with me. That just wasn't my ex-husband. So I made it a point, no matter what, rain or shine, I was working out every single day. And it wasn't even so much an aesthetic thing. That's That was like secondary. It was more for the endorphins and the feeling of like, I can do this now because I'm not with him anymore and he's not going to say anything about it. And finding your thing ultimately is, is what's important. I have a client One of the things I I haven't worked with her for months at this point, she came such a long way and she's in a new relationship now, but at the beginning of her split, she was like, God, you know, I miss painting. He would always make a mess. He would always complain that I made a mess in the garage and I just wanted to have a room where I could paint. So I got myself an apartment with an extra bedroom so I could set up a painting studio and painting essentially became her outlet. and, And that became her happy alone time. So when you have something to look forward to where you get to spend time with yourself and get to do the things you enjoy most, you, you start to see things in a different way. It, it becomes, you become more selective about who you let into your life because you're going to want them to sort of respect this new little world you've created for yourself. For me, it was never, ever again, compromising a plan I already had in place, time with my child or time with myself for a man. And ultimately that led to the most respectful relationship ever, the one I'm in now. We let each other be ourselves. Like he has his things he likes to do. He likes to play the guitar and bet on horses. Fine. I like to go to the gym and I'm never going to compromise time with my girlfriends. Fine. I only found that in my alone time. And so if, if you can use the alone time productively, you'll be a lot more comfortable alone. And last thing I'll say about that alone and lonely are two very different things. I was alone after my marriage, but I was not lonely. The loneliest I had ever been was in my marriage. And so I'll take alone over lonely any day. And I think women need to really get behind that. I think the value of alone time is so understated. So I'm glad that you're making such a a great argument for it because I really treasure my alone time. And I think it's when you really learn a lot about yourself and also start to feel more confident with who you are and how to live authentically. One of my favorite things to do is to take myself out to dinner. I have 
for example, before the pandemic, when obviously we're driving around all the time and in Los Angeles, the traffic is so horrendous that sometimes I'll just pull off at a really nice restaurant instead of staying in traffic for two hours and basically just take myself out for a three course meal. And I really challenge myself to not be looking at my phone so that I look busy or I have something to do. I just kind of people watch. And sometimes you make new friends, the people sitting at the next table. And I love that I'm able to do that. And it's something that even if you feel like that sounds so scary, try just going to coffee on your own first, you know, but there's really no judgment. People, like you said, lonely is different from being alone. No one is judging you because you went to dinner or went to a coffee house by yourself. It's not really a big deal. And it is important to get comfortable with being by yourself so that you can attract the right kind of partner. And so that you still feel like that self is intact when you get into a new relationship. Absolutely. Let's talk about this question. I think it's a really, really good one because I've heard this so many times from my patients and it breaks your heart a little bit. JP on Facebook says, I've been apart from my ex for two years. Co-parenting's fine, but our kids keep asking us when we will get back together. (laughs) How do I deal with this? I don't want to break their hearts, but there's literally zero chance of that happening. (laughs) Well, um, it sounds like there hasn't been like, speaking of boundaries, there hasn't been a clear boundary set with the kids, like, or a clear message sent that this is how things are now. There is no going backwards. Um, There are so many age appropriate ways to talk to your children about divorce. And there are so many great books. I have so many links to books for kids of all ages that really kind of like helps them understand like here we are now and here's where we can go from here. Um, it, it takes me back to my own childhood. I'll never forget after my parents split, I created these two interviews with exactly the same questions. I gave one to my mom and one to my dad. And my plan was that if they answered the questions the same, I was gonna have to tell them to get back together. And I remember they answered the questions completely differently. And I was like, oh, or I guess <laughs> I guess this is not gonna work out. but. My parents were very clear about the fact that the relationship was over. And I know sometimes it sounds hurtful to have to tell your kids, but maybe sitting down together as a family, um, you know, mommy and daddy love being your parents. We just, we do it better separately. Um, We won't be getting back together, but we're always going to be working together for your best interests. It's still the same family, just in two different homes. I think that would be a constructive conversation to have. I think it's really important. Sometimes parents maybe think that they're shielding their children from not having those conversations, but it's actually so much better when you do. It is, and it takes the anxiety out of them and the wonder and the worry. And kids are so much more resilient than we give them credit for. They can adapt like it's nobody's business. Like I watch my daughter, she's five and a half. Girl is amazing and fiercely adaptable. And I was not at that age. So I'm, I'm inspired by that. And you'd be surprised. Like, you know, I have clients that are like, with stomach aches for weeks because they have to have the conversation with their kids. And at this one client, her son was like, okay, good, finally. And she was like, what? I've been crying for weeks over having to tell you that me and daddy are splitting up. And the son was like, okay, cool. Let's, what's for dinner? You know? So don't right. be, don't be scared of your children. I think, you know, as long as you're happy, they're going to be fine. And once you set the boundaries and everything's clear, sometimes it opens the door to other really wonderful things. Like I know blended families who, for example, get together on special occasions all together, you know, um, they get to all go to the child's graduation or all get to celebrate their birthday together. And then there's no pretenses or fears that maybe they're going to get the wrong message. Like, oh, well, 
because we're all together, maybe mommy and daddy are getting well, back together. I'm happy you bring this up. I know there's going to be more questions. I just want to say quickly, don't fall into the trap of thinking you have to be best friends with your ex in order to be a good co-parent. Um, there is this like trend on social media now, people posting pictures with their ex and the ex's new relationship or whatever, these blended family pictures with both sides. This is not the norm. And if you set yourself up for that, assuming that's the standard you have to reach in order to be a good co-parent, you're shooting yourself in the foot. You can be a great co-parent without having Sunday dinner every week with your ex. You can be a great co-parent even if you don't want to be in the same place at the same time. That's okay. And sometimes not being together is a lot easier on the kids because like you said, okay, we're doing a family dinner every week. What does this mean? You guys seem to like to be together. It's confusing. So don't, don't assume that that's the only good way to co-parent. My, my daughter's dad and I are not friends, nor do we want to be. We are cordial and civil. We do things together for appropriate times like graduations and birthdays. But other than that, she's got her two separate lives and she knows how to live them. Yep. And once kids know what the boundaries are and have that open communication with both parents are going to be just fine. This next question is, I think, a really good follow up to that, because, again, there are so many challenges with people when they have children together. And especially when there's a huge heartbreak or betrayal on one side, I think that can make things really difficult to to get over. Penelope from Instagram says, my husband cheated on me with a friend of mine and left the marriage. We have three kids and they, along with all of our friends and family, were just as blindsided as I was. I'm still so stuck in my anger and disbelief that my ex could do this to me. How do I let go so I can move on with my life and not carry this weight anymore? Well, when we are hurt, our egos take over and we can't believe this person could do this to us. But if you look at this from the outside and you, I'm sure you've done this with your clients, you, you see that people who cheat as much as it hurts us do not do it to hurt us. They do it for their own selfish needs. So the second you remove your like, because this is where you could sit in the victim mentality forever. Like he did this to me. The second you remove yourself from being like the target is, is the time where things are going to change for you. It happened. It sucks. I don't expect this woman to be friends with this other woman anymore. She ruined, helped ruin a marriage. But you have to look at this as a situation that happened, a situation that is far outside of your control, a situation you're no longer involved in. So the longer you sit around upset, the more you're, it's almost like you're expecting to find your time machine back to the future and like change things or expect somebody to come back around and apologize. Like there's, there's really no point in holding on to the anger and resentment. Um, the best thing for that is therapy. I am, I'm like, the queen of therapy. It has changed my life in so many ways. I have my regular therapist, my co-parenting therapist, my child's therapist, and it helps you really put things in perspective. So, you know, it's that age old, you have to let go of things you can't control. And this is one of them. You, you can't hop back in time and make him not cheat on you. It's very unfortunate that he did it with somebody so close to home, but the question becomes, did I, you know, let me take my ego out of this. Was this the best person for me? Maybe he wasn't. Maybe I didn't like how unathletic he was or how unmotivated he was at work or his temper. There, there might be all these things that you didn't even like, but you're stuck on the, the act of betrayal. So you kind of have to separate yourself, really do a deep dive into all parts of the marriage that were working and not working and move forward from there because you're not doing yourself any favors. Life is way too short. 
it's okay to be hurt, but you need to take that hurt and turn it into something productive so that you can enjoy your new life, find something that serves you better. Completely agree with your advice, Michelle. And I would just say, additionally, this is a time not to be thinking about the relationship with the rosy colored glasses that many people use when they are going through a breakup. They all of a sudden, he's um, the best guy in the world. <laughs> yeah, this is a great time to actually think about some of the not so great things and, and to remember those more consciously. And certainly stay off of social media, especially with this connection with both the ex and the friend. Who cares? Like, literally, if you have to turn it off, you got to turn it off because that's not healthy. It, it causes you to kind of keep thinking over and over, how could I have missed these signs? Or, you know, so you have to kind of stop doing those things that will drive yourself crazy. Because like you said, sometimes Talk you can't ex- on social media ASAP, even if they yes. didn't cheat on you. It is yeah. a landmine. Yeah. It's a landmine. And like you said, you know, sometimes you can't control other people. Actually, you can never control other people. And whatever reason for why they did this, remember that it's more about them and their inadequacies and their moral failings more than it is about you. Most of the times, all the actions that we choose as people, it's always more about us and the person that we might be doing it to. So I hope that that helps so that the person can remember yes, I am a valued person. I am a loved person. And I am going to open myself up to new experiences once I get over the pain of this one. Yes. Last question for you, Michelle. And this one I think is another really relatable one. Uh, Patricia on Facebook says, my ex new wife is a pill. (laughs) I think she, I think she wanted to use a different term. I'm trying my best to co-parent, but I feel like she's making things harder on purpose, like obstacles during exchanges and drop-offs for no reason. And worse yet, I hear that she's been bad mouthing me to my children. If I keep bringing it up to my ex, he might just think I'm jealous or paranoid, but I'm not. What do I do with this? This is really unfortunate. And This makes me sad. Um, Something I have always done, and I think this comes from my own experience from being a divorced child, I remove myself from all matters related to my husband, his daughter, and his ex-wife. Like, unless I'm invited to be part of the conversation or in the actual scene of pick up and drop off and all of that, I'm like a fly on the wall. Like, I am seen and not heard. And A lot of women that come in as the second wives come in with this anxiety that there's going to be, you know, like a pissing contest between the new wife and the ex-wife. And it's really unfortunate because the only people that this affects are the children. So the best way to handle this, um, I always say, keep your enemies close. Uh, You know, not that she has to be your enemy, but invite her to coffee. Like find a way to let that wall down and say, hey, look, I don't want your man, but here's what I do want. I want my children to feel comfortable. I don't want them to have, you know, exchange issues, times during transition that ultimately indicates how the child is going to feel for the next few days at this other parent's house. So if those exchanges are tense, it's really bad for the kids. So let's, let's listen, let's agree to disagree. We don't have to get along, but please know I'm here as an ally for you. If my kids are being disrespectful, if there's something you want to tell me, I'm open. I don't, you know, maybe my ex-husband told you I was crazy. I'm not, I, I just want to make sure my kids are okay. Try letting, try letting that happen. If she's resistant to it, then it is worthy of another conversation with your ex. Show him that you've tried say you just want to get on the same page because it's hurting the kids. And the last thing I would do is, is therapy, co-parenting therapy, hearing it from a third party. You know, my ex-husband's never going to listen to me. 
I, I left him and he like still hates me. So why would he listen to what I tell him to do? He didn't listen when we were married. But when he hears it from a neutral third party, it always seems to click. So I can't recommend co-parenting therapy enough. What a refreshing perspective. I love everything that you said, but especially that piece of inviting them to coffee, inviting the new spouse or new partner so that you can get to know each other better. I think that that is such an interesting thing. It might feel a little scary, but I think it's really good to be able to have that open conversation and set some parameters up. Like, hey, you don't, we don't need to be best friends after this. I'm not asking you to have coffee every week for, <laughs> with me now. But I'm really glad that we're having this conversation because let's just set the record straight and let's talk about our priorities. I did this with my um, husband's ex-wife. We live in a small community. We had mutual friends. It was very awkward. I was always seeing her at the mall and Starbucks and Target. And so one day I just texted her because I knew it would be harder for her to reach out to me. And I said, hey, look, I don't want it to be awkward when we see each other in Whole Foods. Can I take you for coffee? And it was just a few months into my new relationship. And, and she said, I so appreciate that. I don't want things to be awkward either. I'm not ready yet, but I'll let you know when I am. And a couple of months later, she texted me and we went to lunch. And you know, now we see each other all the time and it's so different than it used to be. One is always gonna be threatened by the other. It doesn't, ma- it doesn't really matter if it's the ex or the new wife, there's always gonna be that sense of intimidation or you know, the new wife wants to feel in control and, and like she's number one. It's a silly mindset to have, but I understand it. And so taking her down from that feeling like she needs a pedestal or like she's not important would help. It's, it's just, you know, it's like, it's like reverse psychology almost. And if, you know, an emotionally evolved person would understand the benefit in letting that wall down. Absolutely. Well, as we close, I wanted to ask you, what is the most powerful piece of advice that you give anyone after a heartbreak? I think after a heartbreak, you can't give yourself, you know, these, you can't guilt yourself into feeling better, right? Like uh, your friends will say, don't cry over him. He was such a rude, whatever. (laughs) That's not true. You have to cry. You have to let your feelings out. Think of your each tear as like an emotional release of everything you want to let go from feel the feels, get a journal. I send all of my clients a journal when we start working together, find journal prompts that will take you from pain to pleasure to joy and hope. Write about how much he hurt you, write about all of the things you want to do in the future, write about what your ideal life looks like. Use your pain productively so that you're not just sitting in it. And and you got to give yourself time. Like there's no rush to get back to anything new other than finding joy in your, in your new life. So, you know, set yourself time every night. I, I'm, I'm so wound up at night putting the kids to bed because I'm alone now and it's so hard. I need to cry and have a glass of wine after I put them to bed. And then I'm going to, that's going to be my little contained amount of time to grieve. And then I'm going to go about my life, but don't let anybody tell you that you have to just snap out of it and get over it because you don't. Everybody's timetable is different. And I think that you need to have, again, patience and compassion with yourself. Like we talked about earlier. Michelle, I've learned so much from you today, and I'm so glad that you were able to answer these questions with me. And I really think that the listeners are going to benefit from your expertise and knowledge. And you've lived it. You know, that's that's the thing. You've lived it. You're living it in terms of co-parenting and learning about yourself and moving on and rediscovering love again. So tell everybody how we can find out more about the work that you're doing and where people can connect with you. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. These were really great questions and I'm glad I had the opportunity to answer them for your listeners. Um, I am on Instagram at the Michelle Dempsey. My website is momsmovingon.com. So is the podcast. Uh, you can look up the podcast streams everywhere. 
Um, on the website, you'll find information about how we can work together or how you can join our membership community where you'd get all the benefits from all of my uh, favorite divorce experts, their advice, their tips and tools, and our weekly group coaching sessions that don't cost any extra money. Um, so that's a great alternative if you really need the support. I have lots of articles out you can find on my website and also if you Google me. And I'm very accessible. Um, I try to get through all my DMs on the weekends and answer people's questions. So you can always DM me and uh, I hopefully get around to answering. Amazing. Well, thanks again for being with us, Michelle. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Now stay tuned for my supercharged secret of the day. Don't go anywhere. I thought that, that was so much fun talking to Michelle. She's so relatable, so real. And I really hope that her advice and my advice helped you today. To close this episode, I want to talk about today's supercharged secret, which is surviving and enjoying singlehood. The first tip I have for you is if you are recently dealing with a separation, let yourself grieve and have feelings. It's okay. Michelle also says that this is really important just to let yourself feel the negative feelings because obviously it's understandable. We're human and we're going to have these feelings and the sooner that you accept them, the sooner they will dissipate too. My second tip is don't rush to a replacement. Michelle is a self-admitted serial monogamous. I know that this speaks to a lot of you out there where you just maybe even feel like you enjoy being in relationships more than being single. But be okay with wherever you are right now. A lot of people do have the tendency to lose themselves in relationships. They start doing everything their partner does, or they change themselves in order for their partner to like them better. So now is your chance to truly get to know yourself the real you. And honestly, this applies whether or not you're in a relationship or you're not, because I really cherish my alone time, even though I love my husband so much and we're in a really happy marriage. So take the time to get to know yourself and do the things that you like, explore your mind, go to therapy, meditate, unearth any negative thoughts you have about yourself, create new ones, follow your curiosities, make a joy list, do the hobbies that you really enjoy. My husband and I have totally different hobbies. So we use our alone time to do those types of things. And then we have some hobbies that we share. And if you are in a partnership, that actually allows you to be much more interesting when you come back together because you'll have more things to talk about. And if you are alone, it also gives you time to reflect more about what you really want in your next relationship. So fall in love with yourself first. The third tip is to reconnect with your favorite people. Because sometimes we lose ourselves in our relationships, we might neglect other important people in our lives. So during a time of singlehood, reach out to the people that you would love to cultivate a deeper relationship again with and spend time with them, really the quality time that really matters to everyone. So no multitasking, really get to know them better and enjoy that time that you have with these other loved ones in your life. My fourth tip is to stop snooping on social. <laughs> if you're single and if you were just recently separated, oftentimes I hear from everyone that they just kind of go down this crazy social media spiral. They check out what their ex is up to, see what pictures they're liking, who they're following. So please stop doing that because that's going to definitely take you down this path that is unhealthy and limits your ability to move on. If you need to take a complete social media break, then do it. The people that you really care about, you can connect with offline. 
And my final tip is to go after your dreams. Is there a dream that you've had, but you held yourself back from going after it? Perhaps because you felt like you had to sacrifice a bit of yourself for your partner or because you just didn't have the time? Well, if you're single now, you have the time. And this is a time when you can make your own plans and don't really have to check in with too many people. So take advantage of that. And if there are any old dreams that you haven't been able to pursue, think about pursuing them now. Well, thank you all for listening to this episode of Supercharged Life. If you like the show and you want to learn more, follow me at Dr. Judy Ho. Remember to subscribe, download, and tell your friends and take a moment to leave a review. It'll mean so much to me. And remember, if you have a question you want answered on this podcast, send me a message on social and I'll try as best as I can to get to them in the next few weeks. I'm Dr. Judy. And remember, anytime is a great time to supercharge your life. We won't have shows for the next two weeks, but enjoy the holidays. I hope you find new traditions this holiday during this unprecedented time and still find the time and the space to celebrate. I will be keeping my social media going over the holidays. So if you'd like to check in with me, follow me at Dr. Judy Ho on Instagram. And I will still take your questions so that I can answer them on upcoming episodes. And also I would love for you to share your new holiday traditions with me. So share a story with me, tag me in it, and I will share it with my followers. If you are missing this podcast during the holidays, then feel free to go back into the back catalog. We have so many amazing guests and other Q&A episodes that I'm sure you'll really enjoy. So take the time to check that out. Happy holidays, and I'll see you all in the new year. This podcast has been produced by Stage 29 Productions for entertainment purposes only. The contents of this podcast does not constitute medical, psychological, or professional advice, do not reflect the opinions of this company, any of its parent companies, affiliates, subsidiaries, promotional sponsors, or advertising agencies. The views expressed by the hosts and guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. For medical, psychological, or other advice appropriate to your specific situation, please consult a physician, a psychologist, or other trained professional. For more information, please go to stage29.tv.